you have a copy of Scripture, turn with me to the book of Acts, um, Acts chapter 1, and, um, and we're going to be, uh, uh, or not Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 13, rather, we're going to be looking at uh, God's Word here this morning, beginning in, um, in, in this, uh, the second half of the book of Acts. One time, um, Harvard um, uh, Business Review published an article entitled Market Myopia, Myopia, in which the authors contended that Many times people and businesses forget their purpose and what business that they're in. For example, the, they cited the railroad uh, b- uh, business, uh, the railroad industry. They didn't understand that they were in the transportation business. Had they done that, they would have invested in the airplane. The telegraph people um, thought that they were in the telegraph business and they failed to realize that they were in the communications business. And the question that I want us to consider today is, what is the business of the church? What is the business of the church? Some would say that is to take care of uh, the members. The, the church is here to visit the sick, to pray for those who are in need, and to take care of people at important transitions in their life, like marriage and childbirth and death. The church is here to provide guidance and comfort for people in important times. And now... Uh, No doubt that these are all important ministries of the church, but I would argue here for you this morning, with you this morning, that these ministries are not the main business of the church, and if we start acting as though this were the main business of the church, we would miss the main point. We're always in danger of slipping into a maintenance mentality in the church where we focus on Maintaining our, the things that are for us and preserving our sacred traditions and we forget about the lost. Erwin McManus, who pastors in Los Angeles, said somehow, we somehow think that the church is here for us and we forget that we are the church and we are here for the world. John Piper, commenting on the book of Acts, said this, that the book of Acts is a constant indictment to of mere maintenance Christianity. It's a constant goad and encouragement and, sti- and stimulation to fan the flame of Advent, which we just celebrated last month. The Son of Man has come into this world to seek and to save that which is lost. And so this morning, as I was been praying about where we should go with God's word at the start of the new year, I want us to return to the book of Acts. It was December of 2019. That, that seems like forever ago, doesn't it? Uh, at the end of 2019, we finished up in Acts chapter 12. And I had intended in 2020 to take a short break and, and study another book and then come back to it. And then all the things happened last year. We're going to return now to the book of Acts and consider what God is saying to us and what God is calling for us to be and to do as a church And this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 13. I'm calling this section, or I've titled this section of Acts, Acts uh, Mission 1-8. Mission 1-8, going and growing. We're going to see how God sends out his church and the church begins to experience expansive growth as the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, begins to go to the farthest regions of the world. The key verse to the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We're there at the beginning Luke, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling, me about, uh, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And so this verse gives to us not only a summation of the book of Acts, but it also gives to us a pattern for the church. Acts chapter 1 through 7, we see the church in Jerusalem. Acts 8, 8 through 12, we have the church in Jerusalem, or Judea and Samaria. And then beginning today in our text this morning, Acts chapter 13, we see the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And so this morning as we begin this section of the book, I want us to consider why in 2021, the start of this new year, why we must be about the business of God. And so three reasons why you and I as the people of God, the children of God, are called to take the gospel to people everywhere. That means across the street and over the seas to places like Panama. Where is God calling us to take his gospel, the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's read our text this morning. We're going to look at the first 12 verses this morning, Lord willing. And we're going to consider what God has to say to us here today from his word. Beginning with verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And we're listed, given the names of five of these prophets and teachers in the church of Antioch. The first one out is Barnabas. And we know Barnabas, he was nicknamed as the son of encouragement. And he was from Cyprus. We saw that back in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. And then there was Simon called Niger, uh, most likely from West Africa. Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, Manian rather, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch was the Herod that had beheaded John the Baptist and had interrogated Christ at his crucifixion, at his trial. This is, this uh, Manian had been a lifelong friend, is believed a lifelong friend of Herod, and he was converted and now a leader in the church. And um, Saul, and while they were uh, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, that is, they announced the good news of Jesus Christ, where? In the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them, that is, John Mark, uh, uh, the author of the second gospel, the gospel of Mark, was their helper. And they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And the proconsul, that is, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deception or deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. 
Let's consider what, what God has to say to us here in this passage. Three reasons why we must take the gospel to people everywhere. First reason is this, called by God. Called by God, or called by the Holy Spirit rather, called by the Holy Spirit, every believer has a work to do. Every believer has a work to do. We see this in the first three verses. Verse one, we're in the ancient city of Antioch, Syria. Uh, the place where the gospel had gone north into Syria. And this had now become a, a, a new center for the Christian church. And we read of these five leaders there that we covered when we looked at as we were reading through the, the list there. Verse 2 tells us that these were worshiping, while they were worshiping and fasting. <clears throat> Who is the these? Uh, some say, well, it was the five leaders. It may have been the congregation and the five I believe the five were leading the church to do this while they were worshiping and fasting. Worshiping, the word there literally is while they were serving the Lord. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, while they were being devoted to prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, verse 2, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, to, for the work to which I have called them. Now I want us to think about that here for a moment. David Jeremiah, pastor out of Shadow Mountain in California, said, God doesn't usually ask people who are doing nothing to do something. Think about that. God usually doesn't ask people who are doing nothing to start doing something. He calls people who are doing something to do something more. More important, more urgent, more sacrificial. And I want you to notice here in, verse, in these opening verses, verses 1 through 3, that the church didn't choose those who would go. Paul and Barnabas didn't sign up and volunteer to go. It was the Holy Spirit who had called Barnabas and Saul for the work to which he had called them. And our response might be to say, well, whoo, I haven't been called. I, not so fast. Now, we're not going to get off the hook that easy, right? Think about this. God didn't send his son from heaven to die on the cross, the death that he died to pay for our sin, to give us eternal life, so that we could sit and wait until we get to heaven. And God didn't give us his Holy Spirit so that we could stand on the sidelines and watch someone else work. Right? Didn't, didn't put us there on the sidelines so we could say, way to go, Max. We're in your corner. No, God has given us his Spirit, and by his Spirit he has called us to a work. A couple weeks ago when I was in that doctoral seminar, we had the author, Kevin Peck, the author of the book, Designed to Lead with us. Kevin Peck is the pastor of Austin Stone Church in Austin, uh, Texas. And he makes this case and he asks this question. He says, did God save us and give us a spirit so that we can hand out worship programs? Right? I'm stepping on toes yet. God has called us by His Spirit to do a work. He hasn't called me to your work, and you, He hasn't called you to my work, but He's called each of us to a work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul prayed for the Christians at the church of Thessalonica and listened to the prayer that he prayed for them. So we keep praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. 
This word here for the call here, I believe is that efficacious call to salvation. We're praying so that you will live life, a life worthy of the salvation that you have received. Listen, you and I, we're, we don't live a life worthy of salvation to be saved, but having been saved, we're called to live a life worthy of that salvation. Right? And notice what this, this subsequent follow-up to that prayer is. And may he give you power to accomplish all good things that your faith prompts you to do. That there is a life of faith that God is calling us to a work, a, call, a good work that God is calling us to do. And your, your response might be, say, well, Pastor Kevin, I, I get that. The Holy Spirit, God has called us. I just don't have any abilities. I, I don't have any training. There isn't much that I can do for the kingdom of God. Let me say this. The best ability you have is your availability. And have you made yourself available to the Lord? Have you made yourself available to the Lord? Why must we take the gospel to every people everywhere? Because we've been called by the Holy Spirit to a work that he has called us to do. The second reason why you and I must take the gospel to people everywhere is that we're sent by the Holy Spirit. Being sent by the Holy Spirit, every believer has a strategic assignment. Every believer has a strategic assignment. Verse 3 tells us that at the church began to fast and pray some more. They placed their hands on Paul and Barnabas and they sent them off. That is, they, they cut the cord, they released them, they let them go. And that's hard to do. Like two years ago when, when God moved in Max and Verna's heart and take their kids uh, back to Panama, man, that was hard. We, we didn't want them to go. We wanted to keep them here. We wanted them for us. But there was a work that God had called them to do. And we had to send them out. We had to let them go. Paul and Barnabas, they headed down from Antioch, down to Seleucia, there, which is the port city for Antioch, and there they boarded a ship and they had, headed to uh, Cyprus. And the Holy Spirit had sent them with a strategic assignment. I want you to notice uh, two things about their strategic assignment. There was a place, a strategic place, and there was a strategic plan. They, first of all, let's take a look at the place. They went to Cyprus. And we know from Acts chapter 4, verse 26, I already said that this was the home of Barnabas. And we know from, the, from history uh, that Cyprus was known as the Happy Isle. It would be the Hawaii of the ancient world. It was rich in copper, mineral, natural resources. It was a place of wealth and trade. It was a natural place where the ships would stop over. When the persecution in Jerusalem broke out, a number of Jews left Jerusalem and went to Cyprus. But Cyprus was also a place that over the centuries had been ruled by all the major uh, uh, empires. Egypt, Egypt, Assyria, Persia, Greece, now Rome. And as a result, Cyprus had become a melting pot of all kinds of religious idolatries and beliefs. Cyprus was the home to a temple for the goddess Aphrodite, which was filled with lewd immorality. Chuck Swindoll, in his book on Acts, said that uh, Cyprus was the devil's playground. And this is where God sent Paul and Barnabas. You say, well, man, I just want to go to Happy Isle. <laughs> Not Happy Hour, Happy Isle. God is sending us into the devil's playground. That's where he's sending us. 
And there was a strategic plan that the Holy Spirit gave to them. Did you catch it? It says that, they, uh, um, that when they arrived at Salamis, the port city, where did they go? What does the Bible say? You guys got your Bibles open still? Where does the Bible tell? Speak to me. Do, there you go. Did the Jewish synagogue, plural or singular? Plural. Sing, synagogues, right? So they, they traveled, the Bible says, verse 6, from end to end of the island of Cyprus. Where do they go? Everywhere they went, they stopped at the Jewish synagogues. As we go through the second half of the book of Acts, we're going to see the strategy that God has placed. And, and, and Paul would start by taking the gospel first to the Jewish synagogues, the places of worship, prayer, and teaching. The places of prayer and teaching where the, where the uh, Old Testament was being taught. And there Paul would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went systematically. They stayed at it. They didn't stop. They kept on going. Verse 6, they went from one end to all the way to the end. They got to the other end of the, of the island, Paphos, which was the capital of the city. And did you notice what we did not read in these verses? How many converts did we read of? No report. Now, how would you like to have a missionary report like that? We went to Happy Isle, and we saw no one saved. But Paul and Barnabas were faithful to their assignment. And they followed the leading and the directing of the Holy Spirit. And it's, that's, this is the principle that I want us to capture here. Sent by the Holy Spirit. You, we, have a strategic assignment. A place and a plan. You and I need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to be following Him. We need to be attune, attuning our ears to His leading in our lives and say, Lord, I want to go wherever you want me to go. I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to speak to whoever you want me to speak. I want to be obedient to you. And you might, we might say, well, man, Pastor Kevin, you're, you're crazy. This world is crazy. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus anymore. You don't know where I work. You don't know the kind of people I work with. You don't know who my neighbors are on my street. I, I can't be a witness for Jesus Christ in this world. And what we need to learn from Paul and Barnabas' example here as they were sent by the Holy Spirit is that you and I, we're not responsible for the outcome, but we are responsible to show up at the outpost, at the place, with the plan that God gives to us. Are we where God has stationed us? Are we doing what God has called us to do? There's a third reason why we must take the gospel of people everywhere. First of all, they were called by the Holy Spirit to a work that he had for them. Secondly, they were sent by the Holy Spirit to the, with a strategic assignment to the place with a plan. And the third thing I want you to see this morning, the third reason why we must take the gospel to all people, all places, is that filled with the Holy Spirit, every believer is empowered to witness. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Every believer is empowered to witness. Nowhere do we read of any results thus far um, in, on the island of Cyprus of anyone coming to faith. People may have, we, I mean, just because there's silence doesn't mean that nobody came to believe. We're just not given a report of it. But when we do get to the middle of verse 6, we find uh, opposition, satanic opposition. But notice, filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas were empowered by God to do what God had called them to do. And it's the same for you and me. We can't do what God has called us to do apart from the filling of His Spirit. We can't. We can't do anything apart from the filling of God's Holy Spirit. 
Uh, it's like driving a car, right? You can have a car, but if it doesn't have gas, you're pushing it down the street and it's not a whole lot of fun. Ah, but that car was gas. Ah, that's a whole other deal, right? I mean, you're cruising down the road, right? I, I drove with Gary this week and he said, for somebody who drives slow, you sure like to speed. <sighs> I'm not sure what that meant. I just knew I had a deacon and if I was getting a speeding ticket, he'd pay for it. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What happens when you and I begin to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the, of the gospel of God for it is the power, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, fruit to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There's a person that when they come under the hearing of the gospel, um, that that power is not available to work to bring about salvation. The power does not reside in you and me. The power resides in the Holy Spirit and the message that is being proclaimed. That, and you and I need to be faithful to that, filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, what do we learn from these verses, uh, verse uh, 6 to the verse, end of verse 12? A couple of thoughts I want, to, I want to leave with you here this morning. Number one is expect opposition. Expect opposition. Whenever you serve God, wherever you serve God, expect opposition. For Paul and Barnabas on Cyprus, Happy Isle, it was a man named Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus. Bar, Hebrew word for son, the son of Jesus. You say, who is this Bar-Jesus? Well, verse 6, end of verse 6, they made a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Uh, a sorcerer, a magician. The word therefore, uh, sorcerer, is where we get in Matthew chapter 2, the magi. Uh, it's a combination of astrology and occultism. Uh, being able to mix sorcery in order to cast spells and put omens, cast omens on people. He was a false prophet, a pseudo-prophet. Remember in verse 1, we saw that in Antioch there were prophets and teachers here was a man who was claiming to be speaking for God but he was a pseudo prophet a false prophet he wasn't speaking for God he wasn't speaking the truth of God and and he was Jewish in that he would mix the Old Testament Jewish uh, teachings of Judaism with the occultic practice into this hodgepodge of religious belief that was prevalent throughout the island of Cyprus and bar Jesus had a following so popular, so effective was Bar-Jesus that he was a, an attendant to the proconsul, the governor, Sergius Paulus of Cyprus. Now Sergius Paulus, verse 7, was an open-minded man. In our vernacular today, we'd say he was a tolerant man. And so he wanted to hear what Paul and Barnabas had to say, this new religion about Jesus, whatever. He wanted to hear about it. In verse 8, Elimus Bar-Jesus, the magician, opposed them, stood in the way. He resisted them. He, he thwarted Paul and Barnabas, and his goal was to turn the pro-council away from the faith, from hearing and believing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And you say, what's the point, Pastor Kevin? Whenever you serve God, expect opposition. You say, how can you expect opposition? What are some ways you can expect Opposition. Let me share a couple thoughts with you. I want to get to the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then I want us to see what happens. All right, what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, sometimes 
There's distractions. Whenever you begin to serve God, whenever you just speak for God, whenever you witness, you can just expect distractions. Phone's going to ring. Siren's going to go off. Alarm's going to start sounding. You're going to try and share the gospel, and there's going to be a distraction. It, it just happens. Satan and his minions, they know, he knows how to. He's ready with a distraction and a moment's notice. Sometimes there's obvious resistance. You're having a conversation with the person. It's cordial. Everything is going well. You bring up Jesus, and there is a, every, the demeanor changes. The voice changes. I don't want to hear it. I don't mess with, don't bring religion in here and, and, and confuse me with the religion. I want to hear it. And then there's this obvious hardening of the heart. I mean, you can just see it. Sometimes distractions, other times resistance. Sometimes there's this internal pressure. Your mind goes blank. Your tongue gets tied. I mean, you guys watch it here on Sunday morning sometimes. I'll be in the middle of a thought, my mind goes blank. You think, well, it's just because you're 55. Maybe. It might be spiritual reality as well, spiritual warfare. It, it just happens. And then there's intimidation. Filled with doubt, insecurity, begin to worry what the other person thinks about you. And, and, and what do you do? You become overly concerned and you stop being a witness. Oh, there's other ways. But the point is this, is that whenever you and I are gonna go out and, and we're gonna share the gospel with people and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, expect opposition. It's not gonna be easy. It wasn't easy for Paul and Barnabas. It's not gonna be easy for you and me. Filled with the Spirit. Do you see that, verse 9? And Paul, who, or Saul, who was also called Paul, filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at him. What's the difference maker? The difference maker wasn't Paul, it was the Holy Spirit. It was being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I say this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is, to, is for Jesus Christ to have all of you. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For Jesus Christ to have all of you. You think of a sponge. You pick up a sponge out of a, a bucket of water, right? And that sponge is just dripping, right? Is when, when you're squeezed, Jesus Christ begins to drip out of you. That's a picture of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me give you a couple words. The first word is yield. Yield yourself to God. Lord, Today I'm your, this is your day, I'm yours. I want all of you, I want all of you and I want you to have all of me. We yield ourselves. The second word is ask. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11 verse 13, uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven also give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And then the third word is expect. You've yielded yourself to the Lord. You've asked the Father to fill you with his spirit. You go through the day expecting that God is going to be with you. He's going to walk with you and he's going to empower you for whatever the task is at hand. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the grace. He'll, be, um, he'll give you the courage to speak up. He'll provide the opportunities for you. Uh, and it's, it's the filling of God's spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, every believer is empowered to witness. Notice what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's boldness. There's boldness. Elimus, Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, 
is turning the proconsul away from hearing the gospel. Paul looks at him straight in the eye, eyeball to eyeball. And he says, you are a child of the devil. You're not the son of salvation. You're the son of the devil. You are not a prophet of righteousness and good. Instead, you are an enemy of everything that is righteous and good. You are full of deception. You're laying a bait and a trap to keep people ensnared. And you are full of trickery. You, you, you act in an unscrupulous manner. You only care about lining your pockets, getting yourself rich. You're using sorcery and the occult to keep people in fear. Will you always, will you always stop or will you, um, will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? Will you always be twisting the truth of this gospel so people don't know the way of the Lord? Verse 11, the hand of the Lord will be against you and you will not be able to see for some time. You say, well, does the Lord still work this way? Let me share two examples with you. Missionary Isaac Colburn of Burma told of a group of Burmese Christians who had gathered for an outdoor baptism. And many of the people from the town had shown up. Most were curious. They were watching. But there were two of them, a father and a son, who detested the gospel. And so as the Burmese pastor opened up the service in preparation to explain the baptismal service that was going to take place, this father and son, they began to interrupt the proceedings with blasphemous words, curses, obscene gestures. And as the pastor was ready to baptize his first, the first convert at the service there, these two men stripped themselves naked, jumped into the water, and began to do their own mock baptism using profanities against the Trinity. At the service there, there was an evangelist, a Burmese evangelist named Sawa, who before his conversion bitterly opposed the gospel. He rose up at that moment, pointed his finger at these two men, and basically said these words that Paul said to this, uh, to bar Jesus here in Cyprus. He says, oh full, of, oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, will you not stop, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? The missionary Colburn said these two words seemed to strike the blasphemers like electric bolts. They raced out of the water, but before they could get even out of the water, the father fell to the ground dead. The son passed out unconscious. He was revived, taken to the hospital. Two months later, he too had died. There is power in the name of Jesus. An example a little closer to home happened with me. Someone showed up at the church uh, saying that they saw evil spirits trying to take their soul. So how do you, where do you begin? Where do you, how do you, so just trying to assess the situation, trying to diagnose the situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. So I asked this young lady, uh, her conversion story, tell me your testimony. She claimed to be a Christian. Tell me, when were you saved? The reason for that was, was this, is, is based on what Jesus said, that the one who God has given to the Lord Jesus is in his hand, and no one can snatch him out of his hand or his father's hand. 
And so I wanted to establish that. And she immediately began telling me about a church experience or baptism. Never could get to the point where she could tell me about her confession of Christ. Began to pray for this lady. I can't remember all that I said, but began to pray about these tormenting spirits that she was seeing that, were, that, were, that she believed were trying to snatch her soul. Whatever she's seeing, whatever is terrorizing her, in the name of Jesus. And when I said those words, this girl fell to the ground. Like limp, passed out, lying on the ground. The point being here is this, is that we expect opposition, but the greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And at the, at the name of Jesus, there is power. Right? What happened? Bar Jesus, the son of the devil, not the son of salvation, was struck with blindness. He needed to be held around. Verse 12, the grace of God worked in the life of Sergius Paulus leading to belief. Verse 12, look at that again. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Seeing, he believed the gospel. When we're filled with the Spirit and we share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, God works and he brings people to himself. There's irony here. Elimus the magician, who tried to lead Sergius Paulus away from the faith, now had to be led by the hand. And Sergius Paulus, who was seeking to hear, having heard, believed, and became a child of the king. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul would write to the church in Corinth these words. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. It's spiritual opposition. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. The power's in the gospel. The power's in the message. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. And the point is this, is that you and I must be filled with the Spirit. So, and when we're filled with the Spirit, we are empowered to take this gospel to the people who by themselves will never hear, never understand. It is only as God opens up their hearts and their minds. 2021, I don't know. We don't know what the future holds doing, right? Who, who could have imagined 2020? God brought us through that. Challenges, changing times, all of that's going on. I'll tell you what has not changed. The gospel has not changed. It has not lost its power. The Great Commission the call of the Holy Spirit, sending out his people with assignment, empowering us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, 
is still true today. You and I, we must yield ourselves to him. I'm not asking you today to sign up for anything. In fact, I don't want anything from you. But I want everything for you. This is what I want for you. There's going to be a day and we're going to say, my time has come. And this is what I want you to be able to say on that day. I have run my race. I have kept the faith. I have um, fought the fight. And there is now waiting for me a crown of righteousness for those who love the Lord's appearing. It starts today. It starts 2021. Recommitting ourselves to the gospel message where we begin taking it across the street to our neighbors overseas to places like Panama, right? <clears throat> we want to get to Panama, but we want to start at home. We want to serve and work in South Africa with our missionary friends there, but we want to serve and work in Saginaw. We want to see the Japanese people of Malaysia converted and con coming to Christ, but we want to see our neighbors and our colleagues and our coworkers and our students that in our classes come to Jesus Christ in Saginaw. And so we commit ourselves to both.